Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, Canada's dependence on exports makes the prevention and preparation for foreign animal disease critical. In response to the threat of African swine fever, the Saskatchewan government and the Saskatchewan Pork Development Board each contribute $1 million to support swine disease mitigation, including a dedicated coal line in the North 49 Sow Processing Facility being built in Moose Jaws by Donald's Fine Foods. Sask Pork General Manager Mark Ferguson says this is one part of Canada's effort to be prepared. Research scientists are working on a couple of important projects. One is to develop a weed competitiveness rating for barley. The other is the effectiveness of plant growth regulators on cereal crops. Brianne Tideman is a weed research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta. She presented some of her work at a recent conference in Saskatchewan. We had a chance to talk about the progress on those two research projects. After the break, Mark Ferguson. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Mark Ferguson is the general manager of the Saskatchewan Park Development Board. And we're, we're going to be talking about foreign animal disease and control and having a plan in place. So first of all, just tell us what was behind creating this swine market disruption plan. Well, it, the threat that African swine fever or ASF poses to the province is the main reason this plan was was put in place. And today, ASF is present in parts of Europe and Asia. It was also detected in the Dominican Republic in 2021, but it's never been uh, detected in Canada or the U.S. So um, it's also important to note that this is a disease that only impacts pigs and it poses no food safety risk. But it is a disease that you know, can affect our ability as a country to export. And Saskatchewan, as, as well as Canada as a whole, are extremely dependent on our on our exports. We we export over 70% of what we produce. So, you know, while uh, while this is good for the economy and uh, and helps helps the nation, it does put us in a very vulnerable position. If we were ever to get a, a foreign animal disease, and African swine fever is, is one example of such a disease, but we'll temporarily close our our borders to pork exports. So, you know, these are the reasons as an industry we're concerned about about uh, ASF and the impact of border closures, and uh, this is the reason for the development of the plan. So what does the swine market disruption plan include? Uh, basically, um, pork producers in Saskatchewan committed $300,000 toward the project. The government of Saskatchewan contributed 700000 and that's to go towards the creation of a colon and corridor within the facility, uh, the North 49 Sow Processing Facility that Donald's Fine Foods is presently constructing in Moose Jaw. So basically this equipment will allow for an efficient and orderly humane call of, of hogs if a, if a serious swine disease outbreak or any other situation closes our borders. It'll just basically help us deal with the potential surplus of hogs we may have here without a market. So what is the significance of uh, the participation of North uh, 49 Foods? Well, Donald's Fine Foods and, and North 49, the new sow plant, are, are great partners to the industry in Saskatchewan. And, and they presented us with an opportunity to upgrade this facility while it was being uh, 
constructed in moose jaw. So, so building something like this into the basic design from scratch, it's a lot easier while, while you're building it rather than, than retrofitting it later and cheaper as well. So, you know, we believe this is a good investment for producers uh, in Saskatchewan and all of Western Canada, basically. And, and it's one small part of their, their project. They're uh, establishing a, a new processing facility in Moose Jaw. Producers are just thrilled with the entire project and excited to, to see the new plant open. Can you give us a sense of how that new call line will operate? So the investment will be going towards the construction of a dedicated corridor in the facility along with an overhead rail system that will uh, allow for the efficient processing of of animals. So uh, basically the entire infrastructure facility from the barn to the the CO2 stunning area and and the rest of the facility can be used uh, in the event that we need to to call animals. Um, You know, basically it's one of those investments that we sincerely hope we will never have to use but we need to be prepared for it ultimately if we ever need to so slaughter disruptions you know we had a few of them during the covid uh pandemic and it showed us how fragile our supply chain can be and how how you know reliant we are on processing plants being open every day and we need to have a a good plan available to deal with interruptions to our ability to export and and basically any long-term interruptions to our our slaughter capacity in western canada so so basically um you know this is this is something we hope we'll never have to use but we we need to have in place so again tell us why these plans and preparations are so important to the industry again i think it's our dependence on exports with over 70 percent having to go out of country it's critical that we have outlets for product and uh, Saskatchewan, as well as Canada, uh, are, are very dependent on, on our ability to move product outside of our borders. So our first priority as an industry is biosecurity and, and prevention and making sure diseases such as ASF, you know, never reach our country or farms. And that's there's a lot of work going into, into that avenue as well. And so this is just, just one part of the overall strategy. Mark, can you give us an update on the status of African swine fever right now? Well, we know that ASF is present in several countries in in Asia and Europe, and um, it's been detected in the Dominican Republic as well in 2021. So it's getting closer to North America. We know that for sure. Uh, We know that it can be difficult to eradicate once it takes hold as well. So um, the risk of, of ASF reaching Canada is, is always present. Um, it's a disease that can spread through contact with pigs. Um, the experts uh, believe that contaminated feed has been one of the main ways that this virus has spread throughout the world. And ASF, it, it can survive for several months in, in pork products, whether that's fresh, frozen, um, or, pro, or even some processed products. So. So feeding pigs food scraps that may be infected with the virus, uh, we believe that's one of the main ways that's spread throughout the world and has infected uh, animals. And, you know, that's why it's important for travelers, particularly to countries that may be infected with ASF, to, to definitely not, you know, try to bring back pork or pork products, uh, you know, with them when they cross the border. And it's also important for pork producers to not feed food scraps to pigs for this reason as well. How do you feel um, 
how well prepared we are for a possible African swine fever outbreak? I think producers in the industry have done a lot of work in this area, uh, particularly in terms of uh, on-the-farm enhanced biosecurity measures and in terms of public education and making sure people know the seriousness of, of illegally importing you know, pork products, particularly from infected countries. So this, this project, I think, does significantly enhance our, our preparedness for ASF, and it's just one of the, one of the many things uh, we're doing as an industry to be prepared. Mark Ferguson is the General Manager of the Saskatchewan Pork Development Board. After the break, Brianne Tideman, a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta, will talk about two projects that she is working on involving weeds and plant growth regulators. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Brianne Tideman is a weed research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada who spoke at a recent conference in Saskatoon. Uh, you spoke on a couple of different things uh, with regards to weeds and plant growth regulators. So first of all, what was your message to uh, producers and agronomists at the session? As a weed scientist, when we're giving integrated weed management talks and encouraging use of cultural management of weeds, one of the things you'll often hear us say is to grow a competitive variety. But we don't actually have a measure available to producers of which varieties are competitive and which aren't. So they don't have a way to actually implement that strategy. And so what we're trying to do is actually develop an index that could eventually go into something like a seed guide where a producer could open it up, look at the maturity, look at the disease ratings, and oh, hey, look at the weed competitiveness as well to actually make that a strategy that they can practically put into the field. Maybe just explain how that research is being done uh, for sites that are involved. Yeah, exactly. So we're at four sites, Lethbridge and Lacombe in Alberta, and then two in Saskatoon. Um, and so three of us, so Lethbridge, Lacombe, and one of the Saskatoon sites are using a diverse weed community. And then we have the four site at the U of S is um, using a single sort of weed representative. And the reason for that is just as weed scientists, we like all the weeds. We'd love to do that. But to actually move this to a realistic where the industry could do this as part of regional variety trials or as part of a nursery or something like that, Unless you're a weed scientist, you don't want to plant all those weeds. So we're trying to come up with, could you just use something like a volunteer canola or something like that, just a single species, and still get the same kind of results from that, just to make actually doing these tests in the future a little easier. Because what we'd like to see done would be taking varieties that are, are close to being registered and actually have some of that screening done on them before registration so that when they're going into those seed guys as a registered product, again, we've got that data on on their competitiveness type. And in turn, will this help the breeders? So we are um, looking at different traits in the variety. So trying to link sort of our competitiveness to is it, you know, how fast it comes out of the ground? Is it the leaf width? Is it the height? What is actually giving that variety that competitive edge? So that hopefully someone like Aaron could then take that information and go, oh, hey, if we get really fast germination, that actually helps with competitiveness. And if they were so interested in their program, they could actually build that in and start breeding uh, more competitive varieties as well. And this is a three-year study, uh, two more years to go? Yeah, so we just finished our first field season and we're still in the process of processing all those samples and then I'll be getting the data to do the analysis on it. And we've got two more field seasons yet to do, hopefully get some different weather conditions and, and everything at the different site years to make sure that those results are representative. We'll be analyzing it and then we'll, we'll have to pitch it to the industry too and see if they're actually willing to take on this type of idea to incorporate into something like a seed guide. 
We've been hearing a lot about plant growth regulators. So maybe first of all, just explain what they are. Plant growth regulators are chemicals that are applied to plants that change how they grow. In the sense that we're using them in, in Western Canadian ag, typically we are using them to shorten the plants, which will then reduce their chance of lodging in field crops. So wheat and barley in particular are sort of the two targets that we're using them on. And the goal is to be able to up nitrogen rates and still get some increased yield, but not get the increased height and the plants falling every which way that we sometimes see when we do that. Are we seeing increased use of these products by farmers? I would say yes. Certainly since I started working in this area, I would say use has increased. We've had some registrations, which helps with that, obviously, in terms of use. But yeah, I would say there's a lot more guys using it. It's more typical, I would say, in wheat, but we're seeing more adoption in the malt barley industry as well. So tell us about your research on PGRs. We looked at three different PGRs, Ethafon, Chlormaquat, and Trinexapac. We use active ingredient names, I'm sorry, we don't use brand names, to look at sort of how they would affect lodging in CDC Copeland malt barley. We did all the things to try and encourage lodging. We upped nitrogen rates and we upped seeding rates, and we still had site years that didn't lodge, of course, because that's how research goes. But what we did is look at impacts on yield and lodging and things like kernel weights and percent plump and all of those types of things. And then we also sent samples to Dr. Marta Zadorchuk with the Canadian Grain Commission to look at actual malting quality of those samples as well. And uh, what did you find? A lot of variability, not the level of consistency we would have liked. So there were site years where we would see reductions in lodging from the PGR applications, but there was also the odd year where we saw increases in lodging from PGR applications. For the most part, where we saw benefits in terms of reduced height and reduced lodging would be with Ethafon and Trinexapac. However, Ethafon also tended to have some increases in days to maturity or increased tillering or um, some negative quality impacts as well. So sort of from our study, the most consistent and the one with the least negative impacts would have been Trinexapac. But it still wasn't a guarantee that if you sprayed it, it wouldn't lodge type of thing. And so our recommendations coming out of that were, you know, it's it's certainly worth a try. There could be some varietal sensitivity where the variety we chose wasn't super sensitive to PGRs and things like that. But if you're going to start looking at it on farm to make sure you're including a check strip to make sure you're getting the benefit you're desiring out of that application and, and the money you're spending on it. So your advice is to leave a check strip? The farmer should leave a check strip? From a farmer perspective, leave an area of your field not sprayed with the PGR. And hopefully that gives you at least a bit of an idea of, of if that strip's going down Um, where the rest of your field isn't, or if that check strip has no lodging at all, did you really get a benefit out of that PGR? And was that because of the environment that year, or was it because of the variety you're using? Just thinking through some of those things. If everyone around you lodged and you didn't, but you didn't in the check strip either, maybe your variety just wasn't prone to lodging, or your nitrogen rate didn't put you in that risk area that year, or, or those kinds of things. But just being aware of, of making sure you're getting a benefit out of that application, because it's costing you money. Dr. Brianne Tideman is a weed research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, based out of Lacombe, Alberta. Here are the top agriculture stories from the week of February 27, 2023. Statistics Canada reported nearly 11.3 million cattle and calves were on farm as of January 1, 2023, down 2.2% from the same date the previous year. 
there were 6,437,000 head. On cow-calf operations, a decline of about 160,000 from the previous year. Canadian beef cattle producers retained less breeding stock, particularly in the drier areas of Saskatchewan, Alberta and B.C., Alberta held the largest cattle inventories with nearly 43% of the national total. Saskatchewan was next at 19.3% and Ottawa was third at 14%. Merritt Functional Foods has entered receivership, owing roughly $95 million to its two main creditors, Export Development Canada and Farm Credit Canada. A judge on Manitoba's Court of King's Bench appointed PWC as the receiver for the Winnipeg-based plant protein processing company. Merritt is still licensed as a grain dealer with the Canadian Grain Commission and has agreed to new licensing conditions that prevents it from purchasing grain from or incurring liabilities to producers while in receivership. Merritt received at least $100 million in funding and financing from federal government-affiliated sources, Provincially, the Manitoba government had provided several million dollars in cost-shared funding to merit for equipment and training. There will be a record crop insurance coverage in 2023 in Saskatchewan. Agriculture Minister David Merritt says average crop insurance coverage will reach $446 an acre due to higher crop prices and yield coverage. Coverage jumps 10% from an average of $405 an acre last year. On average, premiums rise from $12.05 an acre to $14.79, a jump of 22.7%. Merritt says individual premiums will be based on previous claims. He says crop insurance is dropping premium discounts and surcharges. As well, unseated acreage coverage maximum rises from $50 to $125 an acre. Funding is now available for employers hiring youth in the ag sector. The $13 million from the Youth Employment and Skills Program will support roughly 1,200 jobs. Minister of Gender Equality and Youth Marcy Ian says this is for youth, particularly those facing systemic barriers to employment due to their gender, race, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, disability or other intersecting identities. The program offers support for 50% of wages to a maximum of $14,000 to agriculture employers hiring youth. Employers that hire youth facing employment barriers will be eligible for 80% of the cost of salaries and benefits and may be eligible for an additional $5,000 to address specific obstacles to employment. Applications are open until March 7th for their project to be considered. BASF has decided to cease its activities in hybrid wheat seed development in North America. The company says it plans to refocus its efforts on the European markets where it sees the greatest opportunity to successfully bring the innovation to farmers. BASF says it has made significant progress with hybrid wheat breeding and seed production research. In June of 2021, BASF officially launched a new hybrid wheat brand for the European and North American market, saying at the time the commercial release was expected in the middle of the decade. The documentary Guardians of the Grasslands has now evolved into an online game for students in grades 7 to 10. 
Students in Alberta will be the first to experience the online grazing simulation game, which focuses on the ecosystems services provided by raising cattle on grasslands. Amy Peck with Canadian Cattle Association says through the games, students will learn how cattle promote carbon sequestration and provide wildlife habitat through rotational grazing on native lands and by moving cattle at the right time and leaving enough grass behind. While the first version of the game is specific to Alberta, additional classroom versions are being planned for Manitoba, Saskatchewan, B.C. and Ontario for the fall of 2023. You can play Guardians of the Grasslands game at gotggame.ca. And a young girl trying to educate people on agriculture seems to have won her battle with YouTube. Learning about ag with Maddie relates to life on her family farm at Kindersley. Ten-year-old Maddie started her own YouTube channel last year in an effort to help educate people on where their food comes from. YouTube pulled her rap on 2022 video saying it was removed to a possible violation regarding content that features a minor participating in a dangerous activity. Supporters rallied around Maddie and tagged Team YouTube over its decision, including Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.